do you crave daily motivation and want valuable tips for dealing with the stress of type 1 diabetes? Sign up for our daily email and start your day with a practical type 1 diabetes and mental health tip delivered straight to your inbox. It's like a personal boost for your day, from me to you. And best of all, it's absolutely free. Don't wait. Go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash tip and subscribe today because every day with type 1 diabetes deserves a healthy start. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash tip. Being the parent of a child, teenager, young adult, or even adult with type 1 diabetes can be a really tough job. You want your loved one to be independent, to be able to live the life that they want to live, but also to be healthy and safe at the same time. Balancing those two things, along with your own anxiety, can make life with type 1 diabetes as a parent a tough task. Welcome to the Live Free with T1D podcast, brought to you by the Diabetes Psychologist. This is the only podcast where we teach you to build your type 1 diabetes stress management plan like a sailboat. You are the captain, your diabetes management is the hull, your mindset is the sails, your behavior is the rudder, and your support team is the crew. When you build your sailboat correctly, you will have smooth sailing in your life with type 1 diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. And on this episode of the podcast, I coach Leslie. Leslie has a 20-year-old son, and she is very closely engaged with his diabetes management. And this is causing both her some concern as well as frustration on his part. He wants to be an adult. He wants to be independent. And she's having a hard time letting go because she's anxious about his safety, both his long-term health as well as his ability to manage his own lows. In this episode, I coach Leslie on how she can reframe her thinking about how she's helping her son to help her to let go. And I also encourage her to have a conversation with her son, an honest conversation about what he needs to become the independent man with type 1 diabetes that he wants to be and that she wants him to be. If you're a person with diabetes who feels like their family members are too hands-on, or if you're a parent with diabetes who's having trouble letting go, this episode will be so helpful for you. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad that you're here today and love to dive into the challenges that you're having. I know that you're having some challenges wrapping your head around your son growing up and becoming more independent with his diabetes. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your son, uh, his diabetes, and the challenge that you're having right now. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Leslie Bland. So my son, Zane, he's my middle son. We have three boys and um, he was diagnosed with type one diabetes when he was eight years old. And um, so obviously um, a big adjustment and um, his dad and I really had to kind of dive in and help an eight year old navigate. He was old enough to remember not having it, you know, as he kind of progressed. And so we've always been very hands-on um, with his type one. He does have a CGM and Omnipod. So he's got a closed loop system. Um, however, he's also um, just turned 20. So he's also been kind of a teenage boy. So we've still been semi acting as his pancreas for a while now, but it's, I just know uh, 
as a parent and a mom um, who's quite active in the T. Wendy community, it's been really hard for me to like not text him all the time because I get his CGM readings, right? And um, it's just been, and I know that we're about to transition into, he's in college now. He obviously has a job. He's going to transition to not living at home. And um, I, however, have had a really hard time kind of pulling back and letting him be the one that manages it. We're really good at, he makes the doctor's appointments. I don't go to the doctor's appointments anymore. He picks up his prescriptions, all of those kind of things. But it's really the the hour by hour Dexcom alert management that I just haven't been able to kind of pull myself out of because I do feel like it's needed. However, I know he feels like it's not needed and he's an adult and should be able to not have me texting him so many times during the day. Um, so it's, it's, we just had a really hard time navigating him being an adult and getting in a mindset of, yes, he should be able to live on his own. We've always worked really hard for him not to feel different. Um, but now he's 100% different in my mind, just because like my oldest son, who's not a type one, when he moved out, we were like, here's your stuff. Um, <laughs> and and with Zane, we're, I'm just far more nervous about it. And so I think as a parent um, transitioning into T1D child, who's now an adult, it's just been a really rough transition. Yeah. So tell me about after he was diagnosed at eight and give me an idea about how you managed his diabetes at that point. And then at what point did he start doing things like making his own doctor's appointments. I mean, cause that's pretty, I know lots of 20 year olds who are not doing that on their own. I know lots of 35 year olds who aren't doing that on their own, on their own. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and, and what role have you played there and, and how has that just transitioning with him growing up and going to school, going to college, being away from you more frequently, how has that been for you? Yeah. So we, um, when he was first diagnosed at eight, obviously we, went to the nutritionist. We had an amazing endocrinologist and who taught us a lot of stuff and, you know, the pieces to be nervous about the pieces to let him be a kid about. Um, and so we've, he was on, um, a pin obviously and pin prick for the first portion of his T1D. And, and so he was in athletics. And so there was just a lot of, a lot of, asking for the extra testing at the first of diagnosis, obviously we were getting up in the middle of the night and testing to, to really understand what was going on, um, change, try to change his diet and really manage the carb piece. He, our school system, we live in a smaller town. Um, we actually had an amazing school system who we, uh, I think when he was diagnosed, there was not another child in our school whole school system with type one. And so um, the nurses really took an active role. They had like snacks he liked in this, you know, in the nurse's station to if he went low. And every time he went to have to go check his blood sugar, he always had another student go with him. So he was wildly popular because that student generally got a snack too. Um, and so the the nursing group did a really great job. They would call us if they weren't sure of the adjustment. So I would, you know, I'm just used to being engaged in the process and getting calls from the school and, you know, about what he needs and, you know, 
once we were able to move to a CGM, which was amazing, right? No more nights, um, getting up in the middle of the night to test. So that, but that also then gave me the ability to, as I travel for work, which I do, I also am still very engaged in, in his management of his blood sugar. And, um, and so that's been, great a blessing but then also it's i think it's kept me far more engaged he's been doing his carb conversions and things like that at eight right so he was able to do a lot of that because he was older um but we have always just been a part of the process the whole time and um he so when he turned 18 um i had him start making his doctor's appointments and all of those kind of things because he also because he was 18 had to like give me permission to see his stuff. Um, so I felt like if he's saying yes or no, I can look at his stuff, then he's old enough to be able to schedule his stuff. So, and that goes the same with endocrinologists as it does the dentist. So the boys do have to, I want them when they leave the house to know how to, you know, do laundry, make sure they don't have cavities, all of that kind of stuff. So that's your transition into college is also doctor's appointments and house <laughs> maintenance. So, oh, and right now he's 20 and he's going to college and he's living at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about how you are helping him manage his diabetes right now as he's transitioning to adulthood, but not quite, well, he's an adult, but he's still under your roof. How's that? Yeah. Look? He's obviously not home nearly as much. So I think a lot of the management happens via text. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are still, I'm still looking at his blood sugar. It comes on my watch, right? I'm getting the notification that he's high. And then I'm sending him a text asking if he's taken insulin or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he's replying back or not replying back. So then he gets another text from me. Um, if he's low, it's an immediate phone call uh, just to make sure he's not driving or you know operating something at work to where it's dangerous and that he's suspended and eaten if he's not on, if he's not, if he's on manual mode, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure he's done all those things. So lows a phone call, highs a text. Um, and then the renewing, you know, ordering his prescriptions, like he'll tell me when he's getting low and I'll just order it on the app. So I still do some of that. He does know how to do it, but I have the app. So it's just usually easier Um, but he, I know he would like us to get away from texting him every time he's high. And, um, but I don't know that I have the right level of trust that he's going to address it without me saying, have you done it? Um, or are you out of insulin? Is that why you're high? Do you need us to bring you some? So I'm still bringing him. If he forgets, you know, something at his work, then I'm still bringing it to him or, you know, also making sure he's really managing it before a test. Like I still check in on that because obviously there's cognitive processing changes if he's not really in a good spot and he's a mechanical engineering major. So he's like rolling into Cal two tests with high blood sugar and, you know, so, so those kind of things are what I still talk to him a lot about and, and the texting, I know he's would really love for it not to be on my watch. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how this has impacted your relationship with him and how, and what his response to your helping him, supporting him, managing diabetes for him has been. You know, it's interesting because he, um, 
I don't know how you would know if he was a middle child or not, right? He doesn't really have the middle child syndrome because he has type one and we're like uber into um, his life uh, because of that. So he definitely gets a lot of communication from us because of that. I do worry though, it's not, it's it's definitely not along the same lines as how we're communicating with either of his brothers, right? I might check on them uh, once in a day. Uh, my oldest son, who's 23, who lives on his own and has for several years, like I text him a couple times a week and like, hey, how you doing? Um, however, Zane's getting like constant feedback from us on his blood sugar, not always constant feedback on like the rest of his life. I know I have to make a conscious effort to be like, hi, how's your day? <laughs> because usually it's, hey, you're high or hey, you're low. And so I also try to remember to be like, your blood sugars look so good today. Um, but then I'm, that's not normal. I wouldn't ever do that with his little brother. I wouldn't say, hey, you're doing an amazing job, you know, with your nutrition today. Um, <laughs> and so there's definitely a difference in how we interact with him um, versus the others. And I don't know if it's, so it's, it's, it's a different relationship, but I'm not, I'm probably not asking questions that I normally would because I'm focused on his blood sugar. And is he aware of this? And does he make comments to you about how mom, I'd lo love to have you to ask me about my day and not about my blood sugars all the time. He has expressed frustration in the constant feedback on his blood sugar. Mm -hmm. He's never said like, it would be nice if you just like, hi, how are you Zane? He's, he he's not said that, but he has expressed the like, I got it. <laughs> Do you have any reason to believe that he wouldn't be safe if you were not checking on him or that something catastrophic would happen? Um I I'm not on the high. Like I don't believe that because he's high that something catastrophic could happen now. I'm just so worried about a 20 year old doesn't often think about what they're going to be like when they're 45. Sure. And so I worry about highs now so that he has a higher quality of like later mm -hmm. um, lows. I'm super nervous about like as soon as he's low, like that's an immediate, like I said, a phone call to understand what's happening because he does drive a motorcycle and, you know, he's, in um a, a retail store and so there's just he when he gets low he doesn't you know he can't answer normal questions and stuff like that so i'm much more worried about safety with a low i'm worried about long-term health with the high sure and with the lows has he ever had a severe low has he ever been in trouble he's a glucagon or something else recently because of a low blood um, sugar he has had like a a severe low, um, like his phone had died. So CGM wasn't alerting us and mm -hmm. he was very low. He was at home though. Okay. It scared me to death. Like we had to get honey in his mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, there was just a minor seizure. So, um, like scared to death. And so I think I probably overreact because it was, it's just so scary. It's been probably two years. Okay since that happened, but it's, it was traumatic. <laughs> yeah. When someone, when somebody goes low, whether it's yourself or somebody who you love, especially if you see that happen, 
It is. It can be scary. I remember I've had some, I've, it's been a long time, but I've had some severe lows as well. And recovering from those and being trusting myself and trusting my mm-hmm. food and my carb counts, it can be, it's really a hard and challenging thing to do. And I, I can't imagine seeing as a parent, seeing my yeah. child going through that as well. So I can understand why you want to be so hands-on. It's, it's hard, why it's hard for you to, um, to take a step back. Yeah. And that's why I'm so worried about the moving out piece mm-hmm. is that I, what if he moves to Fayetteville? And so it's 45 minutes before someone's there. If he doesn't have a roommate or, you know, and so that that's the piece that I just can't get my mind around is <laughs> like, sure, you can move out, but that next door. So I can just like run over there if there was a low situation. And so obviously there are many adults who function just fine. Um, but it's hard to fathom. Yeah. So I want to talk about a couple of different things in terms as we're coaching you on how, on how, mm. how to deal with this. And there's a lot, a lot to unpack here. Which we don't have time for, but there are two things that stand out to me. Um, the first is it's your, in, in many ways, it sounds to me like you're checking on him and, and, and Mike, and I'm going to call it micromanaging. I don't mean any disrespect mm. to that way, but micromanaging his blood sugars, um, is a habit. You've been, you know, he's 20 years old. So you've been doing this for the, you've been doing this every day for the past 12 years. Mm-hmm. And so while it may sound great to be able to just, to not worry about it, if, if you, if you could not, if you cannot worry about it and allow him to do it on his own, habits are really hard to break. And I think being aware that it's not necessarily something that you're doing wrong and not something that you are, uh, that, that, that you are trying, that you are, um, that you're pushing yourself on him when you don't, when he doesn't want you there. But for you, just like, you know, we have habits that we we do every day. And, uh, and for you, managing Zane's blood sugars and being aware of them is a habit. And the good news is, is, is if you can call it a habit, call it what it is, that can actually really help you to change it. Because if you, if you say, well, it, that's just who I am. I am a mom who is worried and I, I can't let go. Um, that's not true. And I know it sounds like it may sound scary and there's no doubt about it that it is. But if you, if you say I have a habit and I, I've, I've been, I've changed my habit before I've started exercising or I have changed how I eat. Um, you can think about it that way. That I think can loosen your, loosen you up and give you, give you permission to change your habit, especially when the situation has changed. So, you know, you, normal child development and teenage and young adult development is to launch from their launch from a house. And so the, the, what, what you did when he was 16, how you react, how you interact with his blood sugars then at 18 and 20 at 22, that's going to look different and mm-hmm. a- allowing yourself to allow him to do that while recognizing that it's not that you are incapable of it. Cause I know you're capable of it, but that, that it's it, what it does, what it requires is a, a change in, how you're behaving and a change in, in the habit that you're that you have is is I think a helpful framework to think about it. I talk to people with type one diabetes every day, and every day is clear to me that people with T1D need a plan. They need a plan to follow to manage the emotional burden of living with diabetes. Without a plan to manage the stress, life with diabetes is overwhelming. You feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose. And you have no idea how to feel steady on your feet and find the peace of mind you're looking for. You feel like diabetes takes away your freedom to live a normal life. A plan to manage the emotional burden of T1D is very simple. There are five frameworks you need to know. And if you know these five frameworks, 
you have a plan for how to deal with any stress diabetes throws your way. With this plan, you'll be clear about what you're doing right now and what you need to do next. That's exactly what you get when you join Live Free with T1D. At Live Free with T1D, I coach you to manage the stress of type 1 diabetes like a sailboat. You are the captain. The hull of the boat is your diabetes knowledge and management. The sails are your mindset, the rudder is your behavior, and your crew is your support system. If you build the five parts of your sailboat correctly, you'll be sailing smoothly with type 1 diabetes. All of that is part of the plan that's available to you when you join Live Free with T1D. Plus, as part of Live Free with T1D, I host a live coaching event every month where you get access to me and have the opportunity to ask me questions and even get personalized coaching. To join Live Free with T1D, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash live free with T1D. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash live free with T1D. Join other people with type 1 diabetes just like you who have a plan to find peace of mind and freedom in their lives with type 1 diabetes. Um, the other thing that I, that, I, that I think could be helpful to think about is your the, the on the relational side. Um, so I've seen this from a lot of teenagers and young adults, and I'm not sh- sure if this is true for Zane. I'd love to hear your feedback. But when their parents are helping them all the time with their diabetes management, they don't do it because it's like, that's one less stress that I have to take on myself as a parent. And I, I've actually heard this most when I've talked to parents of teenagers and their low blood sugars at night. I, I The parents say, I can't let my son or daughter go to college or to their friend's house or to camp because they don't wake up for their their lows. And I say, well, what, what happens? Like, well, their, their CGM alerts them. Um, and immediately I go to the room and give them juice or uh, a glucose tablet. And so I say, well, what, what would happen if you waited for 10 minutes? And the, the parents' response is, well, I could never do that. That that, that would put them in danger. And it's like, no, if you, I mean, of course, if they're in if, if their blood sugar is 40, then of course go and help them. But if the blood sugar is 65, give it a little bit and see what happens. And almost always, magically, the kid wakes up because he realizes or he or she realizes that my my parent is not going to be there. And it's even more apparent when they go to camp or they go to a friend's house. They wake up right away because they're they they know it's their responsibility. But the problem is, is when they're at home and their parents are like, you know, they're constantly helping them manage. It's almost like this is what mom does. And so if mom's doing it, why should I even bother? Um, and so it becomes this, this behavior in the relationship that you have of it's mom's role to manage my blood sugars and I do my thing. And there, and it becomes really hard to set for, for each, any, either of you to separate that, um, for you to, to get, to stop, um, you know, being so hands-on, but he's like, why would I want to take care of this? This is too much trouble. And mom's taking care of it. So um, I'm just going to let her do it. Um, and I'm curious, like, as as I as you hear me describing that scenario, how does that sit with you? And does it ring true for your relationship with Zane? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely part of it that we've been so involved for so long. Like, we've always considered him really um, because he's had to grow up much quicker and he has to make a lot of decisions in his day, right. To keep himself alive that a lot of people don't. And so um, 
we've tried to share it, but now I do kind of worry, like I'm probably oversharing and um, he's far more comfortable not having to worry about it as much because he knows if, if it goes on too long, he's going to hear from us. Right. And so I do think that there's um, a need to step back. I just um, wonder, should I be vocal? Like, Hey, I'm, (laughs) I'm going to step back and let you manage this to make sure he knows he's needing to keep an eye, um, you know, to avoid the low that that he thinks I'm going to come in on, you know? And so it's, it's navigating that piece of it, but it, I do, I definitely hear the habit piece because it's absolutely a habit. If I have a couple of minutes between a meeting, I'm, I generally check his blood sugar. And so I can definitely see the habit piece of, of me. Cause yeah. Um, it's been a, a 12 years. And so, but yeah, I think there is also something too. We've always been there communicating it. So he hasn't had to worry about it as much. And we were at the beginning, we were definitely doing that for, he's an eight year old, right? <laughs> he should get to live his life. And then, but now it's, yeah, he's an adult. He's going to have to take this over and have we set him up well to do that. Yeah. And my guess is that if you were magically able to completely take your hands off, not follow him anymore, not say anything. And I'm not suggesting that you do. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but if you were able to do that, he would actually probably step up to the game really quickly. Because he, yeah. would, re- he would realize not only does mom not going be there to catch my lows, but when my budget goes high, I don't feel very good. And I really want to be able to work or go to school and hang out with my friends. And I want, I have got to bring it down. And if mom's not reminding me, I got to do that because I want to, have that you know immediate gratification as opposed to feeling slow and sluggish and high. So, yeah. but being able to take your hands off and to separate is challenging, probably more so for you than it would be for him. My guess is that for him, he wouldn't even notice and he would just kind of step up naturally. But for you, there's that anxiety. So I wonder if it would be worthwhile for you and Zane and, and Zane's dad if it's appropriate to sit down and have a conversation about this and actually make a plan for yeah. um, for transitioning away from you being there all the time um, and, and really getting not only, you know, my input, because my input in some ways is irrelevant uh, for your relationship, but really Zane's input as to yeah. what it is, what it is that he wants and how, how comfortable is he in um, taking on more of the responsibility it's clear to me that he can, if he's making his own doctor's dentist appointments, that's amazing. So he certainly seems capable of capable of doing it. Um, and I, my guess is that he wants um, to be independent more or more independent as well, but yeah. making it, but, but I, I also don't think that for you or for him just saying tonight, okay, I'm done saying no more. You take care of yourself <laughs> is going to be helpful. That's it's, it's probably going to cause more anxiety. But if you guys have a plan that you can say, okay, well, you know, over the summer of 2023, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then starting in September, I'm going to stop texting when your blood sugar is high, for example. And, you know, and I need, and I want you to, um, you know, take on this responsibility so that eventually, you know, in a year when he moves out of your house and moves to Fayetteville or, Boston mm-hmm. or New York or wherever he goes, that you know he is confident and competent that he can do it. And you, um, of course, you're going to be anxious. You're a mother, and that's what mothers <laughs> do. And, and he probably appreciates that. But that you are able to allow him to do that 
um, knowing that he's going to be okay, knowing that you have given him the tools. But I think having a plan so that everyone's very clear ab- about what the expectations are, what um, what you ca- what you can and can't do, as well as giving you some some guidelines, right, and, and some um, some guardrails. Because if you say if you guys agree, you know, after September of this year, I'm going to stop texting you when your blood sugar is under 350. Um, then you're going to have the urge to text him for sure. Yeah. But if you, but you know, okay, we agreed that 350 is the, the only time I could text him or above, then it, it's, you're going to be easier to pull back. And then the, that habit will form of, okay, I only text him when things are really high um, or, or really low. And you can even start to set your CG, your alerts for him to be at those levels so that you're, so that you're not, and, and, and easier said than done, but you can stop looking at your phone all the time and just, and trust the alerts that if he, if he's in a place where you have both agreed that he'll, you'll contact him, then you're going to be alerted. But if not, you know, you have all this time free now to focus on the things that you want to focus on, <laughs> focusing on, you know, Zane's blood sugar numbers, because trust me, I, I'd rather focus on, you know, reading my reading books and watching movies and going to the beach than focusing on my own blood sugar numbers. But, <laughs> but, but, I, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a constant process of learning, habituating and, and becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. And those guardrails, I think can be really helpful for you. Yeah, no, I, I like, I really like the idea of changing my alert um, because yeah, right now it's within range. And so it's tight like his. And so that's a really great way to, get myself at least out of the habit of looking because it's like I said, it's on my watch, it's on my phone. Um, and so if it's not alerting me out of the agreed upon range, then um, then it won't bring me out of whatever I'm doing. So I, I really love that um, idea to help kind of break the habit. Yeah. And, you know, one last thing I'll say is that, you know, I don't know Zane, um, but I could imagine that if this doesn't change over time, there may be a day where he says he tr- he opens his phone and turns off share, and then all of a sudden, like you're <laughs> you are caught really off guard and probably very very anxious. And while yeah. I don't think that'd be a bad thing, you know, in general, I know that for I mean, it, it would be a little bit of a shock, and I don't want that to happen to you. I want I want you guys to transition out of this in a way that he's not going to open up and push, you know unfollow or, you know, don't let mom follow me anymore, or don't let anybody follow me anymore and be on his own. I think that a conversation can really facilitate that, um, that process. For sure. Agree. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for this conversation. It was, a, I think a good one. I, I know that a lot of parents listen to the podcast and they can, um, either identify with you right now, or they're worried about the situation coming up for them, you know, in the future near or far. So I appreciate you sharing your story and I hope that what we talked about was helpful for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. At the end of every episode, I give you a plan of action that you can start using today to reduce the emotional burden of type 1 diabetes. And today, your plan of action is sit down with those closest to you, your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your family members, and have a conversation around boundaries and diabetes. When do you want them to help you? When do you want them to step back and not say anything? Having an honest conversation, no matter how old you are, can be helpful in making sure your relationship stays healthy while you're also getting the support that you need in your life with type 1 diabetes. Thanks so much for joining me on the Live Free with T1D podcast. 
where I teach you how to build your diabetes management plan like a sailboat so you can have smooth sailing in your life with type 1 diabetes. And I'll see you back here next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.